Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the epic narrative. We are in chapter four of Exodus. I don't want to brag, but I did cover an entire chapter in one episode last week. Just throwing that out there. After being stuck, I think, on like a partial phrase of a parcel verse for an entire episode several weeks ago. Ta-da! It can be done, ladies and gentlemen. It can. All right. So Moses has is meeting with Jesus currently, still, even even as we speak in this chapter, and you know, I, I think that that in these verses we see today, as the title indicates, I think Moses is still haunted by his past. I think that the first forty years of his life, growing up with the, his Egyptian family learning to love the Egyptian people and understand how they think and how they they govern, loving his grandfather, uh, believing, you know, that God had something for him. Now, the Egyptians agreed because they believed it was the God of the Nile. Uh, the Hebrews believed that, you know, God was going to send him someone. And I'm sure it's some in some way Moses believed that the Hebrew God, Yahweh, had something for him as well. It wasn't what the, the way that Moses imagined it, which we've hit on before, which is not unusual, right? So many times God has a plan for us, and we get going in the first few steps of it, or in this case, the first 40 years of it, and we just figure we know how it's going to end up. We we just kind of move forward in a rhythm, and we we don't really check in with, with God. We just kind of... We just kind of roll along, and all of a sudden, it doesn't work out because we've we've moved out of or away from what his plans were, mostly probably because of the timing of it, right? A lot of us get ahead of our timing, a lot of us. Currently, in our little RV life, we really thought life would be settled by now. It's not. And maybe I can share more on that in my Bob thoughts afterwards because who knows where we'll be by the time that happens, because we are in this constant, currently a constant state of flux, and it can cause, it can cause just a wee bit of stress in a 300 square foot area with two people living in it, just a little, but that's okay. Internally, Moses, I think, has never let go. He's never let go, and and a quote I heard. Um, just today, like I said, so many times the Lord just sends something to say, hey, throw this in there. It says this, the courage it takes to leave behind what is not for you to, which is not for you anymore. There you go. The courage it takes to leave behind what is not for you anymore is the same courage that will help you find your way to what is. It's the same courage that will help you find your way to what is. That's, that's, that's exactly what is going on here, in my opinion, while Moses is standing at the burning bush. He's having this conversation with Jesus, with God, with the angel of the Lord. And and he needs to find the courage to walk away from what is no longer him. 
And it's that same courage. It's going to take courage to walk away. And it's the same courage that, that he's going to need in order to find what is him. What is the new way? He had the courage to step forward and, and literally kill somebody in order to move forward with what he believed was God's plan. And I know that it, metaphorically, there are many people who have killed people in order to move forward and God. Well, there, yes, there are those who have also killed people in the name of God's plan. We can just go to the, the you know, the craziness of the, of the battle over Jerusalem to go back and forth over how many thousands of people have been killed in the name of God, let alone other wars that have been started and, and tribal back and forth. But just... Just think of like the Western church mindset, which is where I live and have been a part of for so many years. How many pastors or people who have believed that they are called by God to do something have have killed a relationship or have manipulated and used people to the point where they are spiritually depleted and I would call dead? Not I know they're I'm not saying they won't go to heaven. I'm just saying like they've they've killed them. In the name of God wants me to do this. God wants me to do this. They've sacrificed, literally sacrificed their families on the altar of the will of God, the call of God on my life. I, I've, I've been a part of groups like that. I've pre, unfortunately, I can say I preached it, or at least I represented those groups really well at one time in my life. I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. So, so glad I'm not there anymore. But I know that, that, you know, there was a time in my life where not only was I told that God, I could sacrifice my family on the altar for God, and God would take care of them and of me. Like, not only did I, I was told that, but I believed that. And I was working, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18 hour days, seven days a week in the name of God, in the name of, of the will of God. And I was sacrificing all kinds of time with them because I was told and I believed that God would take care of my family. It, it was, it's not a, it's not a, it's not good. Okay. It's just not good. And I believe that, that, you know, in, in Moses, in that moment in which Moses killed that taskmaster, he believed that taskmaster would set in motion what he thought God wanted to happen, what he believed God wanted to happen for him and for his people and for the people of Egypt. He really believed it. You have to believe in order to kill somebody. Now, granted, he tried to do it without anyone seeing, and somehow the word got out, but, but he really believed it. So he's having this conversation with God because in, in the beauty of what Jesus has told him in the bush— I, I, uh, we, that we looked at in the last chapter. In that in that moment, he feels within him this this incredible urge again. I think to step into what God's called him to be and to do. He he wants to bring freedom to the Hebrews. He wants to show Egypt how beautiful God is and how amazing Yahweh is, and he wants to see Egypt fall under the the beautiful love of the Father. He wants that, but then he remembers. He remembers what happened last time, that he really wanted something this bad. And he hesitates. And what I love about this, these, these verses ahead 
is that we get a conversation. Our God is a conversational God. And I know that many times this conversation is presented as though God is disappointed, God is angry, God is frustrated, God has told Moses to go now, and Moses won't go now. Moses wants to discuss things. Moses wants reassurances, you know, and somehow Moses in this point is a bad example for everyone because we just need to go. When God says go, get up and go. Don't, don't turn back. Don't argue. Don't come up with excuses. Move forward. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the Lord completely expected this conversation because God knows his people and he loves his people. He loves his creation. He is a wonderful, loving father and always has been. How many times do I have to say that, Bob? He's like, well, maybe a few more. Yes, (laughs) I agree. Maybe a few more. He's always been a loving father. And so this conversation with God, we don't, we don't know. It says in verse, uh, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Now, this, this reaction, this interaction, I should say, with God, we don't know how long this is. We don't know if it's hours later, days later, a week. We don't know. Please don't try and pretend you do. It's fine if you want it to be immediate. That's fine. That's your story. It's your imagination. You cannot draw timing out of this language. So it could have been hours later. He could have been sitting there in the presence of God, really immersed in the love of God. little gagging there. Immersed in the love of God. Overwhelmed. I've been there. And then, and then the voice of his past comes back. And he says, what if they don't believe me? What, what if, what, I mean, how can I take this experience with me and bring it to them and say, ta-da, God told me to lead you out of Egypt. I'm taking the elders. We're all going to go to Pharaoh. We're going to ask for to take a three days journey into the wilderness. We're going to worship God. Egypt is going to see the power and the miraculous of God and, and, and spiritually be, you know, uh, revived. And I'm going to, you know, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We're going to enter into, again, the promised land, and everybody's going to be hep, hep, happy. What if, what if they don't believe me? What if they say God never, God would never tell you to do that. God didn't appear to you. How do we know God appeared to you? Do you have it on film? No, you don't. I didn't think so because it doesn't exist. So he has some doubt. He has some doubt about his, his own identity here. See, somebody who's confident in their, in their identity isn't going to be, <laughs> it's weird. People who are confident in their identity, right? They are not, they are not swayed by those who don't believe them. <laughs> you ever met somebody who's that, that convinced of who they are, that they're, they just are, they just, they're going to move forward regardless. You can believe me or not. I don't care. Either join me or don't join me. I'm going forward. That's, that's somebody who doesn't doubt who they are and what God's called them to do. Moses here is doubting who he is. He's like, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't know that I've actually been called by you? He needed some assurance that he wouldn't be made a fool of. Wow. That's, that's intense, right? 
That's intense. We've all been places where we don't like being embarrassed. We don't like being made a fool of. I I felt this way probably, I, I can't remember ever going into a math class and not having this fear. I'm going to be made a fool of. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And my wife, who's a bookkeeper, amazing. Like, like she's a math, she, she just, she can see numbers coming together. Like, she's also somebody who loves the puzzles. So she puts things together really, really well. And, and, and she has taught me amazing things. Like, I know how to read a budget. I understand red numbers and black numbers. I understand uh, uh, so much that, that I never thought I would. But still, you put a budget in front of me the first time, or you put numbers in front of me the first time, my, my gut instinct is, oh, crud, please don't screw this up. And then slowly I walk into the confidence that I do know what I'm doing. I may not, you know, I may not know how to be a bookkeeper, but I, I know enough to, to interact with, you know, our house budget, with our, when I was at churches and stuff, I understood how to run my budget and how to write my budget, all that kind of stuff. Now, so at some level, I, I understand Moses thinking, I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want to walk into Egypt, even if no one there is going to kill me. Let's, we'll deal with that in, you know, in a few minutes. But if I, I don't want to walk into the elders, elder meeting and say to them, hey, God appeared to me in a burning bush that wasn't ever consumed, and he wants me to take all of you to Pharaoh, and we're going to ask for a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship God. In other words, we're asking for a week off of work. I'm asking you, elders, to put all of your reputations on the line. I'm asking all of you who, in theory, have been leading the children of, of God for years now. I'm asking all of you to let me be your leader and take you before Pharaoh and make an absolutely outrageous request. Because God told me to. So yeah, I can understand not wanting to be made a fool of. I can also understand not wanting to be rejected. Nobody voluntarily goes into something like that, goes back into an, into an area and says, yeah, uh, you guys um, didn't want me before, so I'm coming back to ask you if you want me now. And I have an amazing plan that will, you know, could revolutionize your lives. Now, I, I, when I see this, I, I sometimes I think of like inventors. Inventors can handle rejection unbelievably well because they know they have more ideas. Now, I feel this way about creative solutions. I, I come up with creative ideas all the time, and I tell everyone I've ever worked for, like, I'm going to constantly, I have ideas all the time. I don't care if you reject them. I literally live and breathe these things. It doesn't if, impact me. If you look at me and say, no, we're not going to do that, Bob, but you know, keep the ideas coming. I'm going to keep the idea. I, I, I'm going to do it. But if you want to, if you want to reject me, then you just say, everything we're doing here is fine, Bob, just do your job. We don't need to be innovative. We don't need to be creative. We don't need to think of any new things. We just need you to do your job, which, you know, to be fair is probably why there's been no church interested in me for a number of months now because most churches don't want to be innovative. Most churches uh, are stuck. They either want to maintain their business plan, which is generating thousands of dollars into, into the pockets of those who work in the building rather than the community, and 
or and or they want to recreate something that used to work in the past because they tried to be innovative and it didn't work. People left the church. So we need to go back to the way that was back in the day. Let's get out those old choruses. Let's get out the old junior church programming. Let's get out Sunday school. Let's make this happen because that's when we were successful. It's a horrible paradigm, actually. And for someone like me, it was once the ideas were, you know, consistently shot down, when the ideas of innovation were clearly not going to go anywhere, it became very hard to be around because I just, this is who I am. So Moses has this fear of being made a fool of, fear of rejection, I also think at some level he's thinking, I don't want to be exiled again. I don't want to have to come running back to Midian and and tell everybody, yeah, it didn't work out again. Because I've been here for 40 years. I'm one of the people. They accept me. They love me. They appreciate me. They admire me. I have an amazing family. I have two sons I'm raising. I mean, they're, the sons are in their, you know, probably 30s at this point, late 30s. Like he's, he's, he, he does it. He's like, why am I walking away from this? I need some, I need some, uh, you know, some assurances. This, this whole thing, you know, I missed it once before. Am I going to miss it again? Like, I, are we sure this is what you want me to do? I don't mind being a shepherd, a husband, a father, a leader in the community. I have a place here. It's solid. I can live with this. I don't know if I can live with that kind of rejection again. I don't know if I can live with that kind of, of foolish, being made fool again. So it, 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 this conversation, I think, is, you know, again, highlighted in the verses, but I don't think we get the whole conversation. And we definitely miss the heart, I think, of what Moses is going through. And I think we miss the heart of God because I think God is so compassionate. So compassionate. He goes into, you know, uh, wouldn't it just be better to leave me here? (laughs) Wouldn't it just be better? And I don't think God's response is a scolding. I don't think he's mocking Moses. I think he's like, all right, let me help you out. Let me give you a few things that you can look to over and over and over again. I don't think these are one-time, especially the, the, yeah, I don't think any of these were one-time miracles. I think they were all given to Moses. He could do them anytime because it wasn't just for others to see. It was for Moses to see. I think these are personal, personal, uh, what do I want to say? Um, not, not tricks. Uh, (laughs) these are little tokens of God's love, physical reminders that what he's doing, God is behind, that God hasn't rejected him, that God hasn't considered him a fool, that God hasn't, uh, sent him into exile, that he's doing just fine. I, I kind of picture, you know, further on in Moses' life, like he periodically, he'd take his, his staff and just kind of drop it and let it turn into a snake and let it slither around and grab it again. Like, like, like that to me is, 
this is a personal exchange between him and him and God. And he's like, listen, you can do this anytime. And I want you to do it publicly. I want the Egyptians to see it. I want, you know, your people to see it. But I also just want you to know this is something I'm giving you. Uh, so he gives him a miracle. He gives him the, you know, the staff into a snake. He goes, uh, what's, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replies. The Lord says, well, throw it on the ground. And so Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Why? Because that makes most, the most sense. Now, most people believe this was an incredibly poisonous snake, something that should kill you. Because God wanted him to, to you know, understand the authority that he actually carried within him. So he runs from it. The Lord said, no, 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 don't run from it. Listen, I want you to go back to it. Oh, he didn't say all that in the verses. He's like, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it turned back into a staff in his hand. So Moses ran from it, so he's not within hands, hands reach anymore. That's what I'm, right? That's what I see in there. And God, God calls from him, you know, from the bush. He's like, Moses, Moses, wait, whoa, 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 just hang on, hang on. I want you to come back. I want you to grab that thing by its tail. Now, I used to think this was a ridiculous thing because everybody knows you grab a snake from, you know, from behind the head so it won't bite you. But I've watched enough nature shows now, especially way back in the day when, uh, when that Australian dude, his sons now do it too. Crikey, what was his name? Oh, man, I, I literally can see everything about him. I'm sure if you're listening, you're like, I know his name. And you're probably yelling at, at, your, at your phone or your headphones or whatever at this point. But Steve Irwin, thank you. Bob's like, ha, ha I got you. <laughs> you left me hanging there, bro. That's not cool. Anyways, I, I've seen him many times, right? He's out there in the bush, and he grabs some wicked poisonous snake, and he grabs it by the tail, and the thing's like trying to get to him, but it doesn't have enough strength, you know, to reach all the way back and snap at him. It's snapping at him, but it's, oh, he's mad at me now. Look at him trying to get me. Oh, this thing. Yeah, little mama, I see you. I see you. It's all right. It's all right. Let's have a good look at you there. So I know now it's not like, it, it's not like unheard of to grab a snake by the tail. It probably was well known, well known by those who handled snakes and got them out of the way for people. They could grab it by the tail Still have to be quick. You grab it by the tail, you hold it out, everything's gonna be fine. So that's exactly what Moses does. He grabs it by the tail, and I imagine as he's like he grabs it and he's holding it out from him, boom, it's back into his staff. And he's now holding, you know, he changes hand position, but he's like, wait a minute, what just what just happened? This is amazing. This is amazing. That Oh, man, that was so cool. That, no, that's seriously Jesus. I mean, come on, like, that's amazing. <sighs> Everyone will believe me now. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe in the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Yeah. He's like, I'm giving it to you as a sign for you. I've already, like, it's for him. 
but it's also for everyone else. And he reminds Moses of who he is. He's like, I'm the God of your fathers. Remember who I am. This is not to turn the worship back into you. And that's, that's important. I mean, Moses will remember that, but it's important for the people to remember that, that the, the person with the power, with the quote, anointing of, G, of God or of Jesus, if, it's, if he points that anointing back to him or herself, it's, then it, it's an inappropriate use of what God's given them. And a lot of people have used what God has given them to point the picture you know, back to them. I listened, I listened online to a, to a message of a local church here where we're hanging out in our camper, and it was a, it's, a, it's a nice church. It really is. But I listened to the message, and granted, it was only one message, and I'm not going to judge him. I just want to judge that particular message. But he spent, you know, in the, in the 25 minutes of listening, I think he probably at least six times made an open statement that, this church is not all about me. This is not all about me up here on the stage. We, we are a church that is, you know, we, we're about other things. And I keep thinking, if you have to keep telling people this, like, what, who are you trying to convince? You? Because if a ministry is not about a particular person, you, everyone just, you just know it. Because there's a different attitude when you go to a church that is not, shall we say, a hierarchy, uh, a celebrity mindset, it's not a it's not a worship our pastor mindset. And, and 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 I had a I just thought this guy probably has been accused of it, or he knows that the trending of the of the church is away from a hierarchy and away from a celebrity mindset, and going back more toward communal. Uh, leadership, elder rule, that sort of thing, house church. And he's thinking, I've got to tell, I've got to convince these people not to leave me because, man, I need them to keep giving. That's, that was my personal judgment, and I know I shouldn't judge. I know I shouldn't judge. I did, I did the same thing. I, was, I did the same thing when I was in church. It and that's why I think I probably rile up against it a little bit more than I should because it's like, wow, I, I totally would have done that had I ever been a pastor-pastor, not an assistant or youth pastor or family life pastor. If I had ever been on top, I probably would have turned it into a celebrity mindset. It's addictive being up there. So God's like, this is what it's for. It's to turn people to me. And to make sure people understand that I've appeared to you. Then the Lord said, here's another one. I'll give you another token. And again, I think this is something Moses could do as often as he wanted. For people, for himself, for large groups. He's like, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside of his cloak and he took it out. His skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now leprosy is... Evidently, a very horrible disease, and it starts at your extremities, and basically, your skin dries up and flakes off. So when it's white, it's just dry skin, and it's it, because of the cracking that occurs. There's blood, and there's you know scabs, and there's open sores, and it happens everywhere. But your extremities show it worse at first, and so he pulls his his hand out, and his hand is just completely leprosy. He's like, now put it back in. 
So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was completely restored like the rest of his flesh, which again, he probably looked at and thought, oh my word, that is so cool. And if he's anything like me, he would have tried it again. He would have stuck it back in there and pulled it back out. And maybe it did. Maybe it turned back into leprosy. He stuck it back in, turned it out, and everything was fine. He'd throw the stick down, turn it into a snake, pick it back up. And we don't get record of that. It's my imagination. But why not? You know, you have to practice these things. Make sure you can do them. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe you for the second. But if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile. Pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses says to the Lord, What? Pardon, pardon your servant, Lord. What are you talking about? Listen, God says that maybe, maybe this first sign will work, and if not, then the second sign might, and if not, then just keep talking. The sign three will be water of the Nile. In other words, I'm not showing you this one. This one you're going to have to trust me on. It's going to turn to blood on the ground, which means as he's pouring it, it's not turning red. It just looks like water. Fascinating, right? Another, oh, So many applications to that, right? So many times the Lord's like, the transformation happens when it needs to. The plan is not to destroy life. Remember, this. all these things are designed to bring attention to God, to show the people that Moses is God's man, to show the people that Moses is, should be listened to, and the plan to go out into the desert to worship God is one that God is behind. And everyone should be like, okay, Moses did see God. And even if even in Egypt, they should at least be able to say, all right, Moses clearly has a spiritual connection to a dimension that maybe a few of us have, but let's acknowledge the fact that he has it. And if he wants to take the, the Hebrews on a three-day journey to worship their God, and that will make everything okay, then let, why not? Like, there, there should be some sort of capture of attention here where God is inviting, because God is always inviting He's inviting the Egyptians into a relationship with him. Not, I'm not saying they're all going to get saved and worship him, but he's inviting him, them at least to say, at some level, acknowledge who he is and acknowledge that what he has and what he's offering is available for them as well. And that Moses is the conduit of the anointing right now. The plan is not to destroy life. He didn't say, listen, Moses... If they don't believe the first two signs, this is what I want you to do. I want you, you know, you know, I want you to to wipe out whatever, you know, the the first twelve um, 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 magicians that you see in the court, and I'll kill them all. Just point and uh, you know, take your staff, point it at them, and I'll zing them with a lightning bolt out of your staff, or direct your snake to go bite them all and chase them around, and then uh, you know, I'll kill them all. With your staff. No, the plan is capture their attention, invite them into connection. And maybe at least one of them will listen. 
And maybe after those three things, maybe they'll give you your request. Now, I do think, again, God is, God is always a God of choice. He knows the odds of them agreeing to this are small. But he's a God, a God of hope. And he's so filled with hope, he's like, this, I hope, I really hope they go for this. I, you know, I, I think if he, if he had these thoughts, it'd be like, I don't think they will, but I, I really hope they will. Now Moses gets all done with that interaction. He gets all excited. And I think that there's time here. I think that he's, he's, you know, he's reminiscing. He's amazed. I think he does these miracles, the leprosy and snake thing, several times. He's having a good time. And he looks around and he goes, oh, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, God, uh, Lord. Uh, uh, let's, 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 uh, uh, uh. Uh, you know, um, I've I've never, 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 I've never, I've never been able, I've never been able, I, 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 I've never been a able, very eloquent. I've never been able to sp- 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 speak well. Now, is he lying? No. Absolutely telling the truth. And as somebody who has had a stuttering problem as a child, I know I know what this is like. It is infuriating because your brain is going so fast and your mouth can't keep up. Your brain knows exactly what needs to be said or wants to be said or, or what would be, you know, funny. But you can't time it right. You can't speak it out. You, can, you are easily interrupted. Your thoughts are easily shut down. Your communication is easily set aside because you couldn't say what it was you needed to say in the moment or what you wanted to say in order to start out a conversation you you're sitting at you know you're sitting somewhere and you want to have engage in conversation and you need to and then somebody else engages in conversation and you've lost the moment Moses understands that in his life he has lost thousands of moments not just the big one when he killed the taskmaster no He's lost thousands of moments to move in a direction, move the conversation in a direction, to move people and relationships in a direction. He's lost thousands of moments because he stuttered. He had to be very slow when he spoke. I have never been eloquent, neither in part Neither in the past, sorry, or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I think it's interesting that he points out that I was never good at this. Even even now, even in your presence, I can't talk correctly. Now, I know, you know, as I'm telling the story, you it's easy to think, well, Moses is just having a conversation with God. Trust me, the conversation with God has been filled with stuttering, filled with pauses, filled with frustration at some level in Moses' heart because he wants to speak to God. 
and God is waiting. And in his mind, he's thinking God is impatient. God is frustrated. Everyone gets frustrated with me. And yet God's response is constantly kindness and love. So the Lord asks him a question. And again, I don't believe. I don't believe God's reply is one of anything but love and kindness. And he basically says, uh, well, uh, he responds, I should say, to what Moses is actually saying. When he says, I've always been like this, what he's saying to God is, you made me like this. I've never been eloquent of speech, either before you spoke to me or now that you are. You, This is your fault. And now you want me to lead the people? You want me to, to go before the elders of Israel and perform miracles? You want me to go before Pharaoh and perform all this great stuff? And then what? I'm going to stutter. I'm going to be interrupted. I'm going to be slow to speak. They're going to run over me. They're going to push me out. They're going to laugh at me. You made me like this. And now you want to put me in a position to be made a fool of, to be rejected, and ultimately probably sent back into exile and I have to come back here and be more embarrassed again. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. As wonderful as your presence is, I don't know. So God's question to him is, is not one of frustration, but one of let's go after the lie. If you think I made you this way, then I can unmake you this way. That's what God says. Fine. Let's, let's, fine. You want to blame me? Blame me. Who makes them deaf? Who makes them mute? Who gives them sight? Who gives them blind? Yeah. Is it, is it not the Lord? I, the Lord, now go. I will, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. I find this interesting that he's like, fine. You want to give me credit for all the bad stuff that happens to people? Fine. I'll take credit for it all. But listen to me. If you think I did that to people, then you must know that I can undo that. So you need to go speak. I will help you to speak and I will tell you what to say. Now, that should have been enough for Moses because God went after the lie. He's like, fine, you want to believe the lie? I'll answer you. I'll answer you that lie. And Moses goes back and says, please, God, could it be someone else? You see, that, that to me is what Moses has been after from the beginning. He want, he does it, he's still afraid of rejection. He's still afraid of his past. It haunts him in the deepest places, and God is at that deep place. God's love always keeps going deeper. God's love is at that deep place. And in that deep place... Moses' heart is finally seen, and it's like, can you please send someone else? I have this incredible fear of man, rejection, and disappointment. He believes it is too big of a problem. Of course, the problem that we see is never as big as our belief about the problem, which is why the enemy always wants us to focus on something other than God, because with God, there is no problem. With God, there is no problem. His goodness and greatness can always overcome. That's what God just said. Listen, you think I do all those things? I can undo all those things. Now go and talk. And he's like, nah, I just don't want to. 
I believe my problem is bigger than you. He wants out. He wants to send someone else. We all do the same thing. We all do the same thing. Now I want to. I want to spend a spend a. You know, I, I, this next verse I think is really important because again, this is another place that people go and say, "See, God gets angry," because the word angry means nostrils, it means face to face. It means you know heavy breath, like your nostrils are flaring. And burning means well that. Burned, like it means to come up against, uh, to arise, you know, arise, to arise like a flame. Like you light a flame and it gets bigger and bigger, hotter and hotter. And people, unfortunately, you know, for many years, I think, you know, most preachers just saw and understood God to be an angry God. So this was an easy way to translate it. An easy way. This is easy. God gets hot. He gets fired up. And he gets all up in the face of of Moses. Or, perhaps, God looks like Jesus, and he doesn't get angry. And you can, I know you're going to say, well, what about Jesus in the temple? Go back to season one. I did an entire teaching on Jesus in the temple, and he does not, you don't have to read anything in that language. You don't translate anything in that language that means he was angry. And I believe, I believe it wasn't until well after the church was established, hundreds of years after the church was established, that they just, that leadership in the corporate body, in order to control their people, decided to take a new trans, a new interpretation of those words and create an angry Jesus in the temple. Season one, it's a bonus episode, Jesus in the temple. All right. Uh, I think the title of it might be Bob Got Triggered, (laughs) which is not unusual when I see people tell me that Jesus got angry at the temple. Uh, This is what I see. It was God's face, and he did get up really close to Moses, and he saw that deep root of rejection that God, that Moses was actually blaming God for. And he focused his passion on that root. And the, and the passion of God, like a flame, rose up and was burning away, burning away that deep root of the fear of man, of rejection of exile, of disappointment. That's what I see. He wanted to he wanted to come so close to Moses that he wanted Moses to see in his eyes how much he loved him and he wanted to make sure Moses knew I'm walking with you until we get rid of this. Because this is a problem and we can get rid of it. Yeah. So God's purpose, or proposed, I should say, God's purpose. God proposed a compromise. 
And again, I don't think that's something angry people do. I don't think an angry God would have said, Moses, let's work this out together. And while we work this out, because I'm not going to force you to get rid of this, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to let you know that it can be taken care of, but there's a process to getting rid of these lies. And this one goes really deep. And I'm going to walk with you. So this is what I propose. Rather than let somebody else do it, I'll let somebody else do the talking. But you're the clear leader of this. See, an angry person doesn't compromise. An angry person doesn't come up with a, with a plan B. An angry person, an angry God says, do it or die. God comes to Moses and he says, let's, let's bring your brother in, all right? We'll bring in Aaron. He'll be the mouthpiece. But Moses, you're the leader. Moses, you still need to step into the purpose and destiny and, and identity that I've called you to from the beginning. You are going to bring about the freedom of people, not just your people, but of the Egyptians as well. And Moses had an opportunity to choose. He did. He really did. He says in verse 17, but take this staff with you in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. He's like, you're not getting out of what I've called you to do. And after listening to God speak, I imagine that Moses could have felt very inadequate as a presenter of God's plan. I think that Moses could have been looking for lots of opportunities to step away from this plan. But instead, what Moses does is where we will begin next week. <laughs> hey, everyone, I, I really, yeah. I hope, I hope you enjoyed a new perspective that, uh, maybe not completely new, but I think a lot of us have, a, have an opportunity to interact with this story in a little different light because of the way we approach things here on the Epic Narrative. I hope you have a great time. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much for being here. As always, God bless. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Crazy that we are 11 episodes into the book of Exodus already. And we've got some really difficult chapters coming, I'll tell you. When we get into the law, your concept of a good God is going to get, mine was, it's going to get stretched. But just wait till then. Just wait. We've got so much to cover. So much to cover. It's so much fun. Uh, current update. Uh, we have been in Florida for almost six months now, working, doing what I think I've told you before about work camping. We work in exchange for our living uh, utilities, expenses, except for food and gas. And they give us a little bit of money for that per hour. Anyways, it's been working out really well. Uh, I love Florida. I love southern weather. Uh, you know, we're down here during the summer, and <laughs> some would say it's brutally hot. I, it's not that I don't notice how hot it is. I do. It is hot. But I don't mind. You know, some people just, they just do. I feel that way about cold weather. <laughs> it's crazy because I'm a New England boy. 
I used to run in sh like shorts and a t-shirt. I was one of those like high school kids who was like, yeah, I'm running in shorts. Snowstorm down an icy road. I don't know how I didn't get killed. Anyways, another, another story for another day. That's where we are, and we're headed. Uh, we're going to head up to, um, in the winter, we're going to head toward the northeast again. Try and be near family. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, probably start recording season four at or around that time. I, I actually need to start seriously studying for it currently, but um yeah just really enjoying our time down here enjoy uh, continue to enjoy our time working with those who facilitate house churches all over the country uh really enjoy those people they are just so beautiful and fun and if you're interested in leading a house church i'd highly recommend this organization is called revive the way you know it if you help out uh if you give Toward the Epic Narrative, you know Revive the Way because they are the ones who opened up that portal for you to give and encourage and bless uh, myself as well as um, others by keeping the Epic Narrative going. You can give. Uh, the links are right there uh, in every episode. There's a link for you to give. There's also uh, the link is on my Instagram page and my Facebook page. I'm not hard to find. Everything I do is public. I got nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. I have no secondary accounts. <laughs> it's all out there. Oh, anyway, feel free to give and encourage and support and uh, keep the epic narrative rolling. Greatly appreciate those who have given. Um, the new computer that was gifted about a month and a half ago now is just, man, it's just phenomenal. What an amazing machine. Cannot wait to record the next season on it. Uh, again, I know I thank John already, but thank you again, John. Such a blessing. All right, uh, other thoughts. I, I hope you caught the significance of the shift of the face-to-face -face between Moses and and God and Jesus. So many preachers have, have hijacked that moment and turned it into this um, nostril, heavy nostril blowing, like almost like a bull, right? Where he's just heaving out of his, out of his nostrils, so angry, red-faced, in you know, in all Moses's business, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. And I hope you're, if if you, if you have, the guts to consider it, I hope you'll at least consider that concept. As to the Jesus being face to face with Moses, but instead of huffing and puffing, like a snorting bull. He breathes out of mercy and sympathy and empathy for a man, a grown man, who still is tied to the rejection of his past. I've met, I've met people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s that are still tied to the rejection of their past, things that they experienced years ago. So don't, don't pretend that Moses was this sinless, spotless lamb, as, as some do. 
he he hurt and he never dealt with that and god's like you know i love you you've put together a great life down here but i'm gonna walk you through this because jesus's love continually invites us to deeper passion and intimacy with him jesus's light continually finds places where darkness still lingers and says, would you mind if I removed that? Because remember, darkness, light doesn't have an enemy. Darkness and light are not enemies. If light shows up, darkness disappears. But it also, right, exposes everything that darkness was hiding. And that's why God asks, that's why Jesus asks the question, do you want me to turn the light on? Because when I do, I already know what's in there. It's not like I'm gonna be surprised. Like, Jesus is gonna be like, whoa, oh my goodness, I had no idea that was in here. But he knows you might not know everything that's in there because you've, you've put it out of your mind and your, your heart for so long. But he's like, do you want me to turn the light on? Let me step in there and let's work with what, what we find. He's a beautiful, amazing, wonderful counselor and shepherd. I highly recommend working with him. He, he's really good at what he does. Oh, glory to God. Anyways, we will continue this conversation next week uh, on the Epic Narrative. This conversation with Moses at the burning bush, I, like I've said before, I don't think it, I don't think it was a one, one day deal, not even a one hour deal. I think it went multiple days. I think Moses hung out with God for a long time. Anybody who I know that's hung out with the loving, amazing, good, beautiful, amazing, beautiful, have I said that already? Jesus wants to do that longer. So I, uh, I think Moses hung there for a while. Anyways, I appreciate you guys hanging out. I appreciate your love and support of our uh, mission here at the Epic Narrative and of me personally as we continue this journey into whatever it is that Jesus is calling us toward and has invited us to find. Have yourself a great day, everyone, and tune in next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.